Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with all the latest in tech from across the country and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date with all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. This week on the show, we're finding out just how easily anything you have connected to the internet could be hacked. But first, with a quick look at the tech headlines for the week, I'm joined by Tech Central editor Niall Kitson, who's being extremely mean to me this week because all morning when we were prepping the show, he's going, and I've got a little bit of greedy, geeky tech news that you're going to love, Dusty. And when I'd say, what is it? He'd go, oh, I'm going to save it for the show. So here we are, Niall. Put me out of my misery. Yeah, not even a bit of tech news, really. Um, a book that I introduced you to a couple of years ago um, that I knew was being adapted uh, is now ready for our screens and it's coming to us through Netflix. Can you guess what it is? I I know the book and I can see the character in my head, but I can't think of the author and I can't think of the character's name. Put me out of my misery. It's Richard Morgan's Altered yes! Carbon. Yes, yes. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, but, but of course, you know, I'll watch that. That might be interesting. <laughs> I think, that, uh, you see... Will it be, it was like uh, one of uh, uh, Stephen King's stories that I read that was very good. And when it made the transition to television, it just kind of lost it for whatever reason. And I hope the same thing doesn't happen with uh, the Richard Morgan books, because the books are just fantastic. Yeah, well, what I'm interested in seeing is, I mean, uh, Ultra Carbon is a big book. You know, there's there's a lot in there to, mm. to unpack and, and to explore. So I don't think they're going to have much trouble... Um, expanding what's there into maybe a, a six episode series I, I think that would be enough i'm not i'm not sure how many episodes are, have actually been made right, so same. i'm looking forward to seeing that as for you know the casting is quite interesting the guy playing takeshi kovacs not the sort of car not the sort of guy i would have had in my head thinking about who would be there so that's actually quite interesting i'm, I'm going to see what they what they make of the character but uh yeah that is good news. Well, listen, so, if Tom Cruise, Cruise can get away with playing Jack Reacher. <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking, actually. <laughs> I, I think I think we get away with that. Is uh, the carbon going to be on Netflix or is it going to be on cinema screens or main screen TV? Do you know? It's a Netflix original. Aha. So get your subscription paid up. Okay, grand. Listen, let's get, uh, speaking of subscriptions and money, lots of money stories uh, online this week, starting with a mobile wallet uh, payment. So this is kind of when you're using your phone, uh, be it Android Pay or Apple Pay or even your Fitbit watch and stuff like that. Uh, people in Ireland are beginning to use this more and more and more. Yeah, it's interesting to see how new technologies are being adopted and the, and the pace at which they're being adopted, especially as, you know, I, I think QR codes have really found their niche in um, smartphones and, you know, um, particularly airline check-ins. So I think we're going to see a similar kind of adoption with digital wallets. I think it just takes that, you know, that killer application, that one thing that it does better than anything else for people to really sort of get into them. So uh, some figures released by KBC Bank there last week just shows the rate at which people are taking on things like Apple Pay, Android Pay, and also Fitbit Pay, which um, you might be aware of, but it's there. 
So uh, according to KBC, transactions involving um, uh, apps like this are up 75% in 2017. Now, that could be from a very low base. Uh, but the value of the transactions has also gone up 82%. So I guess maybe people are doing more than buying their, their daily coffee with them or something like that. So uh, to me, it's just a small point. It's interesting that she, there is a, a positive rate of adoption. I think it's only going to get better. Uh, I think as people, they might start replacing their um, contactless cards with maybe Apple Pay or Android Pay. Um, that might be the, the obvious um, applications, but sure, we'll we'll see how they go. We we'll wait and see. It's on the up. Uh, one currency that is on the up and down, and then up again, and then down again, is a uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin. Bad week for Bitcoin. Uh, the bad week from you know, I guess bad fortnight. I mean, first there was Stripe dropping Bitcoin support, uh, and the market value seems to have crashed through the floor. I mean, at one point we were looking at what twelve thousand euro for for a single Bitcoin. We're down around eight thousand. Um, you know, 8,000 for a single Bitcoin. But it just goes to show the um, danger of throwing in with Bitcoin as a, a regular currency because today it's worth eight grand, tomorrow it's worth 11 grand. You know, if you're a merchant looking for any sort of consistency of pricing, this has to be an absolute nightmare. And I think it proves that people are just buying into Bitcoin as a commodity, waiting to flip it when the um, when the value gets to a certain level. And it's it's having very little practical application at the moment. I think that the last people actually looking for Bitcoin that I've really taken notice of are cyber criminals who will do their, you know, their typical ransomware thing and say, pay us 300 euro on Bitcoin or something like that um, and we'll unlock your computer. It's very little you can do about that. I mean, you pay the ransom and hope they do it. Um, and that's that's what has happened in the States with a lot of ransomware attacks lately. You know, a lot of institutions that you would think would know better on the security front have actually had to had to pay up. Well, I've seen repeated warnings on the financial pages of people saying that it is investors getting in who know nothing about Bitcoin and all they see is Bitcoin equals uh, 10,000 today, 12,000 tomorrow, 14, and they're thinking, okay, well, buy some of that. Um, and I, I think I think it's still a very, very flawed uh, currency system for online, but we wait and see what happens. But I'm not the only one that thinks that. Uh, Facebook are also kind of coming out against uh, cryptocurrencies because they're removing all the ads for, for cryptocurrencies on Facebook. There are, and it's not just Bitcoin. I mean, there, there are so many coming out at the moment. There's Litecoin, there's... Um, oh goodness at one point there was something called Kanye West which died a very quick death when uh, Kanye's lawyers um, got uh, got mobilised on it but we're, we, there's also uh, Litecoin I think is another one um, you know these things are going to start springing up out of the woodwork en masse and mm. it's it's just going to be completely unworkable but if uh, if you're looking to get in on something on the ground floor and speculate that it will be worth more uh, over time again I think this is the commodity view of cryptocurrencies um, but Facebook have banned advertisements for them it's obviously seen as too risky an investment for people and um, they're they're thinking okay we don't want to be accountable for this when the uh, when the inevitable crash happens Cryptocurrencies are a funny thing because I kind of have a half an idea of what they're about, but I don't really understand them. Um, and then it appears to me that there is no real value behind them because it, people go, you know, Bitcoin mining and stuff like that. And they're able to generate their own funds. I kind of got, there's nothing behind this digital currency. So, so how does it have any value? And then I think about real money. <laughs> and then I go, well, there's no value behind that either. <laughs> Well, real money, uh, real money, I mean, fiat currency, um, the the idea behind it is that the market sort of agrees what the value of something is. Um, 
in in times of old when we had the gold standard it was agreed that you know um uh, gold had a certain mm. dollar value mm. and that that was how we arranged the world but as soon as that decoupling took place it's like just print whatever you want there i don't know this thing called money it, it all sounds like a richard morgan book to me so <laughs> i think we'll move right on uh google making the news this week as well because uh, they also have been in the process of banning things that they've taken a lot of apps off the google play store yeah, well, an example of Google doing something uh, good for a problem it shouldn't have had in the first place is um, getting rid of rogue apps um, and malware that have landed on the on the Play Store. This is very much the bad end of the Android ecosystem. You know, on one end, it's the you know the the libertarian go develop what you like, go make some money off it through our store. Um, we're we're going to be hands off about this with the sudden realization that there are a lot of bad people out there that are quite happy to do things um, to your uh, user base. An awful lot of them will will be kids. Let's be honest about it. So, uh, as an Android user yourself, I mean, I'm I'm an Apple guy, so I'm used to fairly um, feeling fairly confident in the apps that I download because they go through Apple's fairly stringent um, process. Uh, some of it is quite opaque, um, but there you go. Uh, so do you feel safer knowing that uh, Facebook is culling apps en masse? I mean, their their last tranche was like 700,000. Uh, I do, actually. And I've noticed that the, they've put up like uh, Google approved or Google safe or play safe or whatever it is that that, that that tag that they're putting on it. And I do kind of like that. But I also like the libertine attitude where uh, people are able to put all kinds of wild and interesting apps up there. And some of them may be risky. And I do like that little, mm, I wonder if this will work. <laughs> <laughs> you like that bit of edge to things. Well, it's just, it's down to the difference between Android and uh, Apple because everything on Apple is curated and made sure that it's safe and you have to do it this way and there's very strict rules, whereas, you know, it's a lot looser over on the Android side of things. And I find that if I want to do something, whatever it is the job that I want to do, I'll go and look for an app to do it. I found when I had an iPhone, it was near on impossible to be able to do that, whereas with Android, I find it's almost always possible to find a workaround or an app or something. And that's why I prefer uh, the Google system. Fair enough. And I, and I think there there's many would would agree with you on that. It's also interesting how Google are doing this, actually, because, I mean, 700,000 is a lot of apps. And how do you kind of monitor that? And from what I was reading during the week, what they're doing is they're, they they said there's like a I think a 70% increase in the amount of apps that they've taken off the the Play Store. And the reason the jump is so high is because they've been really working hard on machine learning and artificial intelligence to be able to automatically check all these apps to see that if if it's a copy of a popular app or if it's got malware built into it or if it's promoting or inciting hatred or pornography. Uh, And then when it spots something, then it gets shifted over to a, well, I suppose if it spots something obvious, it just dumps it. And then if it spots something that the AI is not sure of, it gets seen by a human. And I think that's interesting the way Google are able to handle that amount of data. Because, I mean, we both work in tech, but can you imagine somebody saying, OK, well, look, there's a million things that need to be sorted. <laughs> I need it done by next week. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's it's interesting how they're using computers and machine learning and artificial intelligence to be able to go through all of those apps that that are being submitted. I just I just think that's interesting. Uh, speaking of Apple, my last story of the uh, of, of the week is actually kind of sad news. Uh, 
And as you know, I always, uh, I always, ne- I never turn down an opportunity to uh, have a dig at Apple. True. But this week, I am very sad to report that Apple are having production of the iPhone X because they're just not selling as many as they thought because people just don't want to spend a thousand euro on a mobile phone. And I think okay, that, right there. That's there very are two sad. schools of thought on this. Two mm. schools of thought. Um, the first one um, is okay, as you say, the demand isn't there. Uh, reduced uh, reduced production. Let's try and get rid of as much inventory as possible. Learn from the experience and, and move on with more affordable handsets. Um, I think that's certainly one perspective that's out there. Um, the other perspective, and this is from my point of view, maybe it's a more realistic one. And I'm not sticking up from for Apple as such, but you have basically there are two apples out there there's the apple that's the premium high-end stuff you know it's the it's the watch executive it's the the new mac pro uh, and now it's the iphone x it's these premium products that they know there will be an initial surge of interest in and then things will level off so there's a there's a natural management of inventory out there because you will have the early adopters that will surge and then things will trail off. Yeah. It's kind of, it's almost like the, the if you look at it like a cinema, you know, uh, a blockbuster film like a Star Wars or something comes out, everybody rushes f- to see it in the first week. And then thereafter, there's this massive tail off because everyone that that wants to see it has seen it by that stage. And there might be some word of mouth, but really the, the success or the damage is done within the first few weeks. And I think we're actually seeing a very similar trend with the uptake of consumer devices now that there is this initial rush, the pre-orders get filled or, or they don't and people get very annoyed. Uh, there is that rush. And then once you start hitting sort of the, the long tail, um, things certainly quiet down. What's interesting will be to see at what point that long tail starts kicking in because the iPhone 10 isn't out that long. Excuse me. It's not out that long. Um, so it makes you wonder, okay, if the long tail effect is happening now, when are we going to see the next iteration? Well, we, 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 time will tell. Time will tell. I, I, the only reason I feel sorry that they have production of the iPhone X is because uh, Samsung won't be able to put their lovely OLED screens into the iPhone X. They don't. They because uh, uh, anyways that's 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 a whole other story listen there we go that's the news for this week Niall thanks for keeping us up to date as always this is Tech Central your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie now we all know that anything that can be connected to a network or the internet can be hacked but how easily can it be done this week Niall Kitson met up with security firm Rapid7's Internet of Things research lead Daryl Highland to find out more. So Daryl, I guess when we're talking about the Internet of Things, one of the principal problems that we're seeing now is that of definition, that we actually have had connected devices for years at this stage. We just haven't looked at them in the same way we do now, seeing as we have this you know, buzzword or bubble around them. Do you think that it's fair to say that one of the main problems of the Internet of Things is that of definition? Uh, Yeah, I would agree. Uh, It's been one of the biggest issues with trying to define risk when we're dealing with IoT technology. When we're talking to companies and we bring up the subject IoT, they quickly jump to, well, we don't have IoT. But if we step back from that and kind of redefine and get away from the term IoT and start thinking of, you know, Internet embedded technology and start having the conversation a little different from that, then we can start talking about other things in their environments where they may have, 
you know, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, automated lighting, uh, conferencing systems on their networks, smart TVs in their conference rooms, and the big ones, printers. You know, printer technology has been around for a number of years and it's grown quite a bit. So now we have these multifunction printers that literally are IoT. And when you start thinking, okay, what is IoT? I generally think there's three, three key things that define IoT or Internet Embedded Technology. One is it has to be embedded technology, a printer's embedded technology. Two, it has to have command and control capability, the ability to control it and make it do things external from itself. Every desktop laptop on your network has the ability to print, stop print jobs, tell when the print job failed, know when it's out of ink or out of paper. That sounds like command and control to me. And the third part is having some internet capability, internet access. You start looking at multifunction printers. They have the ability to phone home to the manufacturer to let it know there's problems. They can phone home to companies that actually support the devices to say, hey, you know, the ink cartridge is running out, the, you know, the burner is overheating or it's having technical problems. So now we know this thing's actually communicating on the internet. So it's embedded, it's communicating to the internet, and it has command and control. That is IoT. And if we use that internet embedded technology definition and move in that direction, printers are literally IoT. I guess you kind of have to get the message across that if there isn't a human in the loop there, it's, it's IoT. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I guess you could probably uh, define it that way. Uh, the, the IoT technology... Um, I also like to expand on that and say it's, it's kind of more than just a device. As I mentioned, those three pieces, typically IoT has an ecosystem. So a product we have has an ecosystem. So if it happens to be a printer, that, that ecosystem is the hardware, you know, the functionality and services that are on the Internet, all the drivers that are on all the machines. So anytime you think about security, the impact of security, you need to think about all those pieces and how they communicate with each other. So looking at some of the threats that are around today, um, we're all used to being very security conscious with our, with our PCs at home. Um, however, that message isn't quite getting across um, when it comes to Internet of Things devices. So does that mean that the threats we're going to face or are facing uh, with IoT are distinctly new from what we're encountering, encountering with our computers? Or are they the same threats, just slightly repackaged? Yeah, I think they're the same threats, slightly repackaged. Uh, I've been in the IT community for nearly 30 years, and I've been in security for uh, 15 years. And we're dealing with the same problems we've dealt with every new emerging technology concept, as far back as you can remember. All new emerging technologies, security has a tendency to lag. And I think we're seeing that with IoT. IoT has the same probabilities. You know, an, an IoT ecosystem has web services. It has code. It has, you know, the mobile applications, all the pieces that make up. And every one of those can have their own security issues. And those, same, those security issues are the same issues we've been dealing with for decades. They're just packaged a little different. So let's get into some specific examples that you've been dealing with. Um, I find uh, issues with GPS devices to be um, a very interesting jumping off point. So uh, tell us a little bit about some of the products that uh, kind of failed, I guess. Uh, 
Yeah, during some research, uh, there was a couple different products we looked at. Uh, the first area was the, the typical uh, Bluetooth dongles that we hang on our keychain. So, you know, when you lose your keychain, you can quickly pick up your cell phone and find your keys type thing. So I saw those on everybody wearing those around, and I thought, hey, maybe I should take a look at these. So I went out and bought like four different brands. There were a couple off brands, and then I also looked at the Tile and also a Tracker Bravo. So when we stepped into that and said, okay, let's look at the ecosystem, we started finding some interesting things. Uh, the prime example is like the Tracker Bravo. Uh, so when we looked at the device, we found out that we could fire up kind of a Bluetooth sniffer and we can identify if somebody was wearing that in the room. But then we found out that it had a security issue where it had zero pairing. So we could actually pair to the device over Bluetooth and set off the alarm. So at that point, we could identify who in the room is actually wearing that particular device. Then we found out because of a cloud API issue that we could pull the ID off the Bluetooth device, play it out to the cloud, and actually get the GPS coordinates. Given the ability to find somebody in the room, identify who they are, and track them with the GPS coordinates. Now this has been patched uh, by uh, Tracker Bravo, so those issues have all gone away. The second one we looked at was a was a Bluetooth, or I'm sorry, it was a uh, SMS-based GPS panic button. Uh, in this particular case, it was brought to our attentions that this device was being recommended by the Colombian government for people that were in fear of possibly being kidnapped. So when we looked at this device, we found uh, a number of vulnerabilities, but probably the most critical one was actually a design flaw in the product, where uh, an attacker could control the device. Well, it turns out that when you set and configure the device up, you did it through SMS messages. So you can set it up to, when you hit the panic button, it would call a couple phone numbers. Or you can send an SMS message and it would give you back the GPS coordinates. But you can also set a PIN number on it to stop anyone from doing all that stuff. So uh, once that four-digit PIN was on there, no one could actually pull your GPS coordinates or reconfigure the device. But we found one design flaw, and that was the factory reset. So we can send a GPS or uh, SMS message with factory default reset on it and actually turn the device off, basically. It would flush everything from it. So then if you hit the panic button, it wouldn't call anyone. And now I can send an SMS message without that PIN number and get your GPS coordinates. To make matters worse, it was even possible to remotely reconfigure the device and turn it into a remote listening device. So, so from that perspective, it's probably a fairly big risk for people that were using this to protect themselves from you know, being kidnapped by Colombian drug lords. But all due respect to the manufacturer, this device was never actually designed to be used in that case. It was more designed to be given to uh, an elderly relative so that they can feel more safe. So when they're at their home and they had an issue, they press the panic button, or if they wandered off, you can actually identify where they are at with GPS coordinates. Another area that I think um, is often held up as the, the quintessential example of, but also, I guess, um, critique of the Internet of Things is the, the traditional home appliance, you know, the fridge that can talk to your supermarket kind of thing. But one that... I find quite interesting is the automation of home lighting solutions and they come with some of their own problems as well. Yes, uh, we actually did some research on uh, Osram uh, product. Uh, we looked at the Home Lightify 
and we looked at the Enterprise Lightify product. Um, the home, home one had you know, several issues uh, where you could actually get access to the gateway without any authentication and reconfigure it, as an example. But the Enterprise one had way more issues. It turned out that it had its own web server. So you can literally connect into this thing and, and inject various cross-site scripting attacks into the device remotely. So if somebody was actually reconfiguring it or setting it up initially, you could actually fire up a rogue access point and actually put injection code in the SSID name. And when this device saw that, it would inject it into the management console. And, what, and if the manager was logged onto the device, it would execute code, giving you the ability to do any number of changes to the device. So that, you know, that's a couple of the issues that we discovered within those lighting systems. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really interesting when you bring these things into the home. I mean, as a as an, a, an IoT enthusiast, not not a, not just a, an alarmist or a, a researcher, um, how have you embraced these technologies yourself? Oh, I I, I encourage everyone to embrace these technologies. Uh, I literally have like Amazon Echoes throughout the house. Uh, I just uh, purchased a bunch of. Uh, Google Home Appliance type technology. I have the Osron lighting systems in my house. Uh, they're good products. Uh, and uh, most of these companies take security serious and they do try to uh, patch these type of technologies when vulnerabilities are out there. Often people purchase technology without thinking through some of the implications that may exist. So I encourage everyone, you know, think about the privacy issues of any technology you're purchasing. Let's not go, let's go into it with eyes wide open, uh, but I encourage you to embrace it. Things that I don't bring inside my house, I don't allow camera systems typically inside my house. Now we know, we know every one of our laptops have cameras on them. All of mine are blocked. Uh, all of my uh, uh, iPads and Android devices all have the cameras blocked on them in my house because that level of privacy is important to me. And, and everyone has to make their own decision for that. But, uh, you know, think it through before you actually make those purchases. But don't, don't be discouraged on purchasing things that make your life easy, make your life safer. There are good products out there. And uh, most of the vulnerabilities that are showing up out there in your general home products are actually being discovered by people like me that do research. And we work with the manufacturers to get these things fixed so these problems go away. I think that's an interesting distinction you make there between security and privacy, one of which, you know, the, the first you assume is on the manufacturer's side and the second is on the, is on the consumer side. Um, how, how do you get that message across to consumers that, look, you're buying something, but it might not be perfect out of the box? That's probably one of the hardest ones uh, to, to get over. Um, there's, there's two types of people I tend to see to run into. Those who will buy anything just because it's cool, uh, and those who refuse to buy any IoT because they think it's going to bring you know, the, the, the apocalypse of mankind. And I, I think we need to find the medium in there. Uh, vulnerabilities going to exist. Remember, you know, if vulnerabilities could have been solved, I'm sure Microsoft would have done that a long time ago. And we deal with, you know, Patch Tuesday every month for patching our desktops and laptop systems. We shouldn't expect anything different in IoT technology. Vulnerabilities and bugs are going to show up. 
What we do expect from manufacturers is to implement a solid patching solution for their products. So when researchers like me find vulnerabilities, the problems get fixed. They get fixed quickly with little impact to the end user. And that was Daryl Highland of Rapid7 talking to Niall Kitson. If you'd like to find out more about what they do, the uh, website is Rapid7, that's the digit 7, so rapid7.com. That's our show for this week. The programme is supported by irishjobs.ie. For the latest jobs from IT recruiters, do visit techcentral.ie forward slash jobs. That address again is techcentral.ie jobs and that part of our website powered by irishjobs.ie. Niall, just before we go for this week... Uh, what is our one more thing, the one more story on techcentral.ie that we just couldn't uh, squeeze into the show today? Yeah, well, the the uh, meltdown slash spectre debacle continues. So we've got a few more hints and tips on how to protect yourself. Excellent stuff. You can get the lowdown on that and all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie or listen to our show every week online or Fridays at five on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.